Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to What the Fab, a fans first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game of it while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we're talking about the season's wild fab market and why you should never abandon your teams with the one and only Dave McDonald. Dave is the co-host of the Friends with Fantasy Benefits podcast. He is the commissioner of GLARP, which is one of my favorite fantasy leagues that I play in each year and make sure that the trains run on time for the entire Earth Network of Fantasy Baseball Leagues. You can find him at at @RunDMcD on Twitter, where he is sharing a ton of great fantasy insights. Welcome to What the Fab Day. Hey, Sarah. Pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely have to get into uh, what's going on in Glarf, but that is is how we met um, a couple years ago now. I I had never knew. I, I assume you didn't know who I was. I didn't know who you were, but um, someone suggested we invite you in, and I was all about it. And uh, you've been such a wonderful addition. It was so cool for you to win last year, um, especially for your charity that you chose in your hometown. So uh, yeah, um, just really excited for things in Earth and Glarf, especially moving forward. Earth and Glarf are the best, and thank you very much for that kind introduction. Um, and I was I was honestly stunned to win that league last year. I wasn't trying to win. I was trying to finish in the top three. <laughs> I, I made up like six and a half points on the final day of the season. I thought Jenny had already run away with it, and, and I was incorrect about that. Uh, Jenny Butler, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking yeah. about her fab processes and how she deals with and makes her decisions, her spreadsheet, her notebooks, all of the planning that Jenny puts into Fab. And, and at one point in that show, if you were listening, um, Jenny mentioned those boys from Cleveland in our league who are always <laughs> bidding so high. Dave is one of those dudes. So we're going to talk about a little bit different approach to Fab today, but in the best possible way, right? Like none of this mm-hmm. runs like immediately one way or the other. And I noted that I'm kind of more cautious like Jenny is. Dave won the league the first year. So it's not like one of those strategies works more than the other. It's a matter of managing your team to the end, putting it all together, and really making sure that you have the best players available each night to win your league. And so I think that um, I'm really glad that you could join me today, Dave. I think that you do an awesome job with Earth, with the charity aspects of it, making sure that everybody in the network is active, which is no small feat with so many leagues. Uh, And so, yeah, really thrilled to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and and, uh, 
my aggressive fabbing uh, was a huge reason that I ended up losing last year. You know, I, I had a huge lead with uh, a couple weeks left and I ran out of money and you didn't. And so you were able to, you and Jenny both caught up to me and eventually both of you ended up passing me in the last. Uh, so I was leading going into that last half week. If it didn't have that half week, I would have won my second in a row, but that extra half week, every one of my starting pitchers was either injured or would have been starting in the second half of the week. And because the week ended on like a Wednesday or Thursday, none of my starting pitchers ended up going. So you guys passed me in all of these pitching categories. And that's just a big reason why you cannot run out of money. Like you can, you can go low, but you always have to have bullets left in the chamber uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and I knew that. And, you know, it's just one of those things that this has always been my biggest downfall in fantasy baseball is is saving my money. And uh, as you know, from from playing with me, it's uh, it's a challenge. You know, it's so funny because that I, I think I had like thirty dollars going into the last week and I spent almost all of it on you say Kikuchi because he had he was like kind of doing that mid middle innings reliever role for the Blue Jays. And I was just like, well, Non-zero chance he vultures a win and I could use some points and wins, but I don't even think I realized how many points I could make up there with a vulture win because it was one of those situations where I think like uh, Chris Deary and Jenny and myself were all bunched within like two wins of each other. And so the combination of Clayton Kershaw winning a game on that last day, Yusei Kikuchi vulturing a win. And importantly, and I almost, I actually apologized to Jenny about this on the show and she was on. <laughs> She had Marco Gonzalez, who threw like one run, seven innings of one run baseball and didn't get a win because the Mariners didn't score and would have won the league had that not happened. It was just like this weird confluence of events. I mean, the the whole last three days or whatever, it was just it was all just craziness. And uh, yeah, um, you know, it played out how it played out. And that's how the cookie crumbles, you know. But I like what you said about, you know, you can go low on your fab, but you got to have bullets in the chamber for those last few moves. We'll get into it uh, when we do a Glarf breakdown. But before we do a Glarf breakdown, we need to do an MLB breakdown. As with every week of the show so far, it just feels like the injuries are mounting. And at least we're at the point in the season here in week nine where, like, some of those players are starting to return, right? So it's not just the, the guys going on the IL. It's also the guys coming back from the IL who can really help your team. Let's start with the Dodgers, two really big uh, names hitting the IL in the last week and change. Dustin May, it sounds like he's going to have a PRP injection in his elbow. That's the elbow he was already having. He was already having some problems with. Hopefully he avoids surgery. I do not have a ton of Dustin May this year. I have him in an auto new dynasty type situation, but not really anywhere else. Um, But the one that is going to hit me pretty hard, I have Julio Arias in Tout Wars, and that's a league that uses innings pitched uh, rather than wins. And so I'm going to have to figure out how I am going to make up for a guy who has basically been an innings horse for most of his career uh, on the waiver wire, which I'm, I'm not looking forward to that at all. It does provide some opportunities for Bobby Miller, kind of like the fla- the flashiest of the flashy starting pitcher prospects that you could possibly have, and for Gavin Stone, who may not even have been available in some leagues because he had been picked up a few weeks earlier. What do you see with this Dodgers situation? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I my guess would be Dustin May probably doesn't pitch another inning this year. Um, typically, you know, PRP is like the last resort before – Tommy John surgery. Um, and, you know, even though the results were there for May this year, you know, you look at his Sierra at 4.79, his K rate was all the way down to 6.4 K per nine. Um, he, he definitely looked like he was pitching injured. Um, I, 
would definitely not hesitate to drop Dustin May. I don't think there's any value there for the rest of the season, unfortunately. Um, Urias, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I don't own him anywhere, so I didn't even know it was like a hamstring injury, right? Um, hamstring, be, yeah. Yeah, those are usually, I would say, a couple weeks, like three, sometimes four weeks. It depends on how, how bad it is, but, uh, you know, that's a guy you got to hang on to. But, yeah, with uh, Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone coming up, uh, you're going to get to see what some of these young guns have. Um, I wasn't super impressed with Gavin Stone. Um, I did pick him up in Glarf on the cheap when I knew he was coming up the first time, and I held him um, just to get another look at him. Uh, I'm not expecting anything great there, unfortunately. Bobby Miller, a little bit more interesting, but he was still kind of building up in the minors. He's not a guy I would have started, especially like I know he has a, a pretty tough matchup this week. I believe it's like the Dodgers and the Braves. or No, he pitches for the Dodgers. Uh, the Braves, I think. And then next yeah. week, I think he also has a pretty tough matchup. So um, I think Bobby Miller I'm more interested in. And then, um, you know, I, I would say keep an eye on Gavin Stone. But I, I don't know. For me personally, I'm not uh, super invested in him being good this year. What's so funny about that is I'm kind of the reverse, but it's because of something that you said. So we totally agree. Like, I think that Bobby Miller, I'm so concerned with the fact that he's only thrown like 14 and a third innings in four starts. And I'm like, how many innings are you actually going to get from this dude? And it's going to cost so much fab to hold on to him. You could really be looking at like a Mason Miller type of situation where you, you know, blow out a huge portion of your budget. And then the dude pitches like three starts and he's done. Um, Whereas Gavin Stone, at least I feel like, the Dodgers have to have him pitch and they're going to manage his innings in a really careful way, the same way that they do with like a Tony Gonsolin, for example. And I think that that's the type of situation that I'm more ready to invest in. I didn't have a chance to do it in Glarf because you're holding uh, Gavin Stone and Glarf. I did get uh, Gavin Stone, I believe in Tat Wars and maybe one other place I, I'd have to look, but um, so that's just an interesting philosophical difference there for the Red Sox. We're talking about a pitcher coming back. Uh, Garrett Whitlock sounds like he might be back this week. I really like Whitlock, but he is underperformed for going on most of a season now. And it feels like he is always on the IL. What do you think about Garrett Whitlock? Yeah, it looks like he's, uh, going to be back on Saturday, uh, according to reports. Um, I don't know, honestly, like he's just, uh, he's a guy who's really intriguing with, you know, if he can go deep into games, I just, and he did go seven innings one time, but I just feel like he's more of like a five and dive type guy. And like, even in, in the minors, um, you know, he's, he went four and then four and two thirds, maybe he's still building back up. Um, I'm not seeing the same case stuff from him though, that, that we saw in the past. And I think that's what made him really interesting. So we'll have to see if he can uh, kind of reverse that. But so far, like in three starts, you know, 4.6 Sierra, he's only striking out 6.2 K per nine. Granted, very small sample. I think he's interesting, but he's nothing more than a, a speculative guy to me right now. Like, I don't know. And, and in 15s, those guys certainly have value, but he's not a guy that I'm really looking to go big on. I feel like I'm holding Whitlock in like half of my 15 team NFBC leagues right now, just praying that he wow. comes back healthy. And it's been it's been rough to hold him for that long. Yeah. Um, Atlanta, we've got Max Fried and Kyle Wright both on the injured list. It looks like it's still Schuster Dodd for now. Jared Schuster was much better in his last uh, time out. Although when I when Dylan Dodd was pitching, I heard a lot. I saw Michael Soroka was trending on Twitter, and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's never a good sign <laughs> when the guy in front of yeah. you <laughs> is pitching." The thing that caught my eye here is really the AJ Smith Shaver promotion from Double A AA to Triple A after like just two starts and. 
more because the Braves have shown that they are willing to go all in on a young arm. They did it with Strider last year. Uh, they're not they're not worried about promoting guys too quickly if it looks like they are doing the job. And the last time I looked, Smith Shaver has not given up an earned run, and now he's going to get some run in AAA. What do you think about this Brave situation? Um, yeah, I, I have very little interest in in Dodd. Um, I am interested in Schuster, who looked a lot better last time, but you know his minor league track record suggests that that control is a problem. So. Um, and we've seen that with, from several brave starters. It, it almost seems like they really, they're kind of like the opposite of the guardians where the guardians have all these really good control command guys. And then the braves are like the opposite. They've got like good stuff, but they really can't control their stuff. But we kind of saw freed early in, in Max freed early in his career had some control issues and he really corrected that. So, you know, it's, it's a little too early to give up on Schuster. I, I actually am starting Schuster in some places this week because um, the Phillies are really struggling versus lefties right now. Um, so he's interesting to me. Dodd, not so much. Um, AJ uh, Smith Shaver, I had not heard of until about a week ago. So uh, just started looking into him. Um, he's interesting. He, but he's only had one AAA start so far. Not that you need to start in AAA to be to come up, but I don't know how ready he is. Um, you know, he was a seventh round pick, so he doesn't really have that first round, second round pedigree kind of thing. But um, I don't know. I, I don't think he's someone that I'm interested in just yet, but maybe if I played in like dynasty leagues, he's probably a lot more interesting there. Yeah. He just went for $3 in the auto new, auto new league that I play in. And I, I think I'm more interested in him. If you have like an NA spot in a league where you can stash a minor league prospect, I would be interested in stashing him just given the pitching situation that currently exists, but I'm not interested in picking him up right now if he's going to actually cost a roster or a bench spot. Um, but and, definitely uh, something and- to keep an eye on. And with uh, Soroka, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm rooting for the guy, but it's been several years since he's even pitched in the majors and he's, he's doing a little bit better in the minors. I I just don't think he's a factor this year. He might come up at some point, but I think they're going to really wait until they feel like he's definitely ready. Cause I don't think they want to bring him up, have him struggle and then have to put him back down the minors. Like, I don't think they want to mess with his psyche because hopefully long-term he's still an asset for them. But uh, I just, I don't see this year uh, him helping a whole lot. Absolutely. Uh, in Boston, back to Boston for one second. I have a couple. I don't know why I separated those Red Sox notes. Past me, just doing stuff. Um, <laughs> Schreiber is on the IL, and I think that there's some interesting stuff going on here in terms of the Red Sox bullpen, mainly because I, I'm not entirely sure how much faith I have in Kenley Jansen after recent weeks. What do you think, Dave? No, I have no I, I, I don't have any uh, reservations with Kenley. I mean, they, they paid this guy big time to close. And uh, I, I, Schreiber, um, in, interesting arm. I don't think there's any chance that he closes really this year. I think, I think they're going to live and die by, by Kenley. And honestly, he was really good up until the last, like what, two outings uh, or sorry. Uh, last outing, he was, he got the save, but he did walk two guys. Uh, but the two outings before that, uh, he had blown saves and taken the loss. But before that, he was pretty damn good. Um, you know, he had like a lot of Ks, only a couple walks. Um, I think it's just really a – I think he got into his head with the whole Wilson Contreras thing. Was it Contreras or – yeah. It was Wilson uh, Contreras. Yeah, where he was kind of messing with him with the pitch clock. I I, I think that that kind of threw him off, and I, I think maybe that might have carried over to the next outing. But long term, I, I think he's fine. I don't think there's any uh, any need to really hold uh, Schreiber or anything. No, I don't think there's a need to hold him. I am interested, though. Like the the Contreras thing was so fascinating to me because I've watched Wilson do gamesmanship stuff like that before. <laughs> Actually, 
wrote about it years ago. I think it was 2018 or 2017. Right he is. He's my favorite. Um, but the David Bodie ultimate grand slam, like the two out walk off grand slam that he hit against the nationals that year, that all started with Wilson Contreras kind of gaming the pitch clock a little bit, stepping in and out of the box, doing the batting glove thing and getting into the heads of, I think it was Ryan Matson who was on the mound for that. And then by the time Wilson took a walk or got hit or whatever it was that happened to Wilson that got Wilson on base, he was just done. Like he couldn't, it was almost like he couldn't pitch anymore. And then he made mistakes to somebody else to get them on base. And then he made that mistake to Bodie and it was over. Like that was the game. And so I love gamesmanship like that. I do think that there is a potential opening in the Boston bullpen. If if other teams can exploit that type of gamesmanship, we all saw that Jansen was bad with the, with the clock potentially coming in. And so Chris Martin is somebody that I am interested in in the back end of the Red Sox bullpen, but we'll see. That's a long-term play, not a short-term play. Yeah, it's going to take a lot. Totally. I'm looking like weeks down the road. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For for my Cubs, speaking of the Cubs, Kyle Hendricks potentially comes back this weekend. Um, I read a piece from Shahada Sharma earlier today that said possibly Saturday. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing with the rotation here. They, They have had a bunch of off days recently. They had one last Thursday. They have another one today on Monday. And so I think that it's possible they're just using that to reset their rotation a little bit. Let's talk about Hendricks first. I did hear that in his last Iowa start, uh, he was back up to 90.2 miles per hour on the old fastball. That is not 92 miles per hour, people. That is 90.2 miles per hour. It is the first time he's thrown a pitch over 90 miles per hour in multiple seasons. Any interest in Kyle Hendricks at this point in his career? Do you know wait and see mode? Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he he touched ninety point two. He didn't. He like he wasn't sitting there. I think he correct. Was sitting yes, like, no. I the man's trying sitting, to sit eighty. He's sitting like 86, 87, 88. 88. <laughs> oh, I, I heard eighty eight, eighty nine, which to me is still like that's for him a massive step up because this guy was down to like eighty six, eighty seven, and you know that was where it was like okay, I you know <laughs> if you've ever watched the guy throw a fastball eighty six, eighty seven, well in real life that's fast. In the majors, it looks like a softball being thrown like it's just like oh god it's a meatball um, well to, i mean dan heron's twitter handle which was meant to be a joke was i throw 88 yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's uh it's not a safe place in the majors to be throwing that slow so um yeah no i am actually you know somewhat interested it's definitely again it's like a speculative pickup um it's been a while since we've seen hendrix be uh effective but Low key, this guy was like my favorite player uh, outside of the Guardians for several years. Like he was a guy that I I owned in fantasy pretty much every year. Um, and, and then you know, of course, I was holding left holding the bag with all my Hendrick shares when he finally, you know, his his fastball had reached the point where he could no longer get major league hitters out, and he just got absolutely rocked. And uh, that was not a fun time. But um, yeah, I I think it's interesting that they're talking about bringing him back. You heard Saturday. I thought it would make sense to bring them back like Thursday because they could, you know, after the off day or whatever, where they could just, you know, reset the rotation, push Ty on back a day because Lord knows he needs a day. Dude. But, you know, Friday or Saturday, it sounds like, you know, you, you are, you're on the inside on these things. So uh, I defer to you. I, I'm hearing Saturday. I actually don't know. A friend of mine and I really want to go to Kyle's return. And we were looking at basically okay. the entirety of that series to see what might happen. Um, I will say I also have a huge Kyle Hendricks believer. And the reason I was a Kyle Hendricks believer, and I had him in a ton of leagues, the man just got guys out. He didn't strike out a bunch of guys, but he just got guys out. He was always good for ratios. He always overperformed his fifth. And part of the reason he overperformed his fifth is because he had a really strong defense behind him. He was always pitching to weak contact. 
The Cubs have an exceptional defense right now. Every starting pitcher on the Cubs, not named Jamison Tyon, who we're going to talk about next, has overperformed their fit this season. And so if Hendricks is back and can get that weak contact instead of throwing batting practice, I actually think he could be a sneaky good option this season, but we'll have to see. Speaking of Jamison Tyon, man, that was a rough, rough, rough uh, outing against Philadelphia. It was a rough outing against Houston. I was actually going to do a deep dive on this and I was going to reach out to some friends of ours to see what they think about what is going on with Jamison Tyon. Cause I have never seen anyone get hit so hard in my life. I was looking at his fan page and I saw that, um, you know, most of the Cubs starting rotation, like I mentioned, the defense is really good. They're weak contact guys. They have a Babbitt right, right around 260, 263, 272. Jamison Tyon is rocking a 360 something Babbitt right now. That is absolutely bonkers and not going to fly and so to, earlier today, I happened to be listening to Rates and Barrels and Eno and DVR were talking about this. And Eno mentioned that he's throwing, he's really excited about that sweeper and he's throwing it to lefties and it is getting murdered. That the uh, sweeper okay. does not play for the left-handed batter because of the way that it crosses the plate. It just looks like a meatball to them and it is getting absolutely wrecked. And sweepers to lefties, and I didn't write this down when Eno said it, so I might butcher this a little bit. They are, they are like, have an ISO of over 400 on that pitch against Jamison Tyon right now. So I don't know if anybody from the Cubs cares what anybody is th- like, what we think about this stuff, but how about y'all get Jamison Tyon to stop throwing that sweeper to lefties? <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is there's actually six pitchers with higher Babips than him. Like at this point, really? Season, Who are they? Yeah. Brandon Belak has a 447 Babip. Um, Clark Schmidt, 386. Chris Flexen, 379. Hunter Green, 379. Adrian Hauser and Kyle Muller, 375. So they're all higher than Tyon. Um, and the one thing I noticed is that I, you know, we always talk about Babbitt as kind of like a luck statistic, and it certainly can be that way, but over a big enough sample, because like you'll see guys who are really good at suppressing Babips, like Clayton Kershaw, his Babbitt has consistently been very, very low, like two. 60 270 something like that um whereas most guys are around 300 but some guys when they're when they're just things like that where they're throwing the wrong pitches to the wrong guys like like i see schmidt up there and i don't think it's bad luck because schmidt gets murdered by lefties and he just doesn't seem to have a pitch to throw against them and i think it may be kind of similar to tie on right now actually eno said schmidt also has been throwing the sweeper to lefties oh there you go (laughs) and i'm like how has the memo not like trickled through these major league offices that that's not the pitch that you throw to left-handed batters? Like, so why, yeah, Schmidt why, was in the same conversation. Why do we know this? But but like the people who are getting paid to know this stuff don't know this apparently. I don't no, know. No, I don't um, know. But I'm hoping it works out for Jamison Tyon. I don't really have him on a ton of teams. I have him in one or two of my home leagues. But honestly, I need Jamison Tyon to perform for my Cubs. The guy I'm most interested in who is do, making some real progress uh, in rehab starts for the Cubs right now is Cody Hoyer, who was part of the trade for K- Craig Kimbrell um, that brought back Nick Madrigal as well. The Cubs sort of viewed him as their closer of the future, and then he had surgery and was shut down for a year. He's almost back, and he is a guy who is touching close to 100 in the minors. I think he has to be in the mix for the back end of that Cubs bullpen because nobody else is stepping up to grab that job right now. No, you don't think uh, Mark Leiter stepped up? I think Mark Leiter is an ideal seventh inning dude. And Edward Alzali can be your eighth inning dude. And then you can go to Cody Hoyer for saves. <laughs> Interesting. So why 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 not Leiter, I guess? What's, uh, what is he lacking? 
I think lighter is the dude for right now, but I've seen lighter blow games, blow saves, blow holds the entire time that he's been with the Cubs. He's been great recently. Um, similar to like Jeremiah Estrada hasn't given up an earned run and he has some decent stuff uh, since he's come back up. And honestly, I would not be stunned if the first time Jeremiah Estrada gets a save situation, he blows it. I, there's just nobody in the back end of that bullpen right now who can close down a tight game. It's really a depressing thing to watch as a Cubs fan. I think Leiter might have the job at the moment. I think Alzali also gets a crack at the job, and I think they are waiting for Cody Hoyer to come back. Um, Just just what I've noticed, anyways, it seems like they've been – Alzali looks good too, but it looks like they use him more in like that seventh, eighth inning I've seen him more in, um, whereas they haven't had a safe situation in a while. So And, and, <laughs> and I don't think uh, – I don't think – uh, lighter has pitched since like the 17th. So it feels to me like they're waiting for him for a save situation. Um, with, with Estrada, they just, they keep shuttling him up and down. So I just don't know how committed they are to him because I keep seeing him getting sent down, sent called back up. So I, I don't see a guy like that really being in the closer picture in the near future. I don't think Estrada's in the closer picture, but I do think he could be a late inning option for them. And frankly, like at this point, nobody wants that job. Fulmer and Boxberger had it. And they just basically blew it up with They're the performances terrible. that they had had. Uh, Rucker is not particularly that guy. Uh, it, it just seems like anybody, the first person who steps up and demonstrates that they can get outs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning consistently, that that's going to be the dude that they turn to. And, and nobody's doing it right now. I mean, Alzali had a shot with the Phillies the other day in a 0-0 game, and he's been great. He's been pretty much lights out this season gave up a two run shot to Bryson Stott and there you go. And like, that was the ball game. That was the whole thing. So that job is there for somebody to take. I think Cody Hoyer has as good a shot of taking it as anybody. I agree with you that Jeremiah Estrada is getting low leverage situations right now. They don't seem to trust him for whatever reason, but he still hasn't given up an earned run. So maybe trust him. Um, well, gonna, and we'll see take, what happens. I'm going to take lighter. Lighter's my guy. I think he's going to solidify that role for you. We'll see though. Um, and then man, I drafted so much Michael Fulmer. Boy, did that not work out. That was, <laughs> So bad. I've I've dropped Fulmer in a bunch of places. I, I'm gonna take oh, Claire and a long time ago, but man, I drafted him like everywhere. I was so convinced he had I mean, and they gave him every opportunity to take that job. Oh yeah. He can't even get outs right now in like the sixth inning in a game where the Look, Cubs are down awful. three. <laughs> awful. <laughs> I really, I'm literally really taking sad. Z- I'm taking zeros in a in a in a draft and hold league where like I can put in relievers. He's so bad that I'm not even putting him in. I'd rather just put a guy in who's not going to pitch that week than take his his you know inning or or whatever two innings and like four and runs that he's giving me every week. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> As predicted, we are running long because Dave and I talk too much, but that's okay. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break for our sponsors. We're going to come back, talk through the rest of these injuries, uh, and maybe we might take a second break this show because that's what happens sometimes. But we we have some uh, Fab and Glarf specific stuff to talk through too. But first, a quick break for our sponsors. All right, we're back. Uh, let's quickly get through the White Sox bullpen. Garrett Crochet is back. Liam Hendricks is back. Uh, what does this mean trickle down for the rest of the White Sox bullpen? Anybody you're still interested there in there aside from Hendricks? Yeah, I actually picked up uh, Kendall Graveman in a couple leagues yesterday, um, you know, for like 10, 15 bucks. I think, um, I think obviously they want Hendricks to be the guy. It's a great story coming back from cancer and everything. Um, but there's no guarantee just looking at this realistically, there's no guarantee that he not only, I think he's going to make it back, but I, I mean, and it sounds like it's going to be sooner than later. It sounds like maybe next week he could be back. Um, they're having him go through some, some bullpens and whatnot. And he's been traveling with the team a little bit. 
Uh, but he's been getting hit pretty hard in the minors, and his velo's down a little bit. But it did tick up, tick back up uh, yesterday. I heard. Um, I don't know though. I just I, I don't know that we're going to see the same dominant um, Liam Hendricks that we've seen in the past uh, this year right away. So I I think the people should be uh, you know if you if you're desperate for saves, take a shot on Graveman. Graveman's been great for a couple weeks now. So um, you know. Ronaldo Lopez got the shot, but he couldn't run with it. He would just looked awful and just kept getting lit up over and over and over again. And uh, yeah, I think, I think Raymond's a good play for this week at the very least. And then uh, kind of go from there. But um, I don't know that they are just going to put Hendricks right back into the closer role. It's a good point. I have Graven in a few different places. Um, I asked our friend, Mike Carter, who has also been on the show oh, yeah. uh, about that. And, and Mike, uh, Mike uh, agrees that Graven is one of the more solid options. At the back end of that pen. Um, let's talk about the Reds for a second. Nick Lodolo has what is being described as a stress reaction in his shin, which is which is not great. Um, TJ Friedel has an oblique issue. That mean, meant that the Reds called up Matt McClain, who I did wind up finally winning some fab bids on, not in Glark, but in a couple of other places. I'm really excited about that, particularly since everybody shut me out on Christopher Morrell, which... I, I just, I was offended, man. Like I am the girl who loves Christopher Morrell more than anything. And I was not about to pay triple digits for a guy that I worry about his playing time. Uh, any interest in Matt McLean or Brandon Williamson? Um, Not so much Williamson. He's, he's got a track record in the minors of just really poor performance and, uh, and a lot of walks. And that's, you know, you, with, with pro- pitching prospects, you're already going to, expect to see them be more erratic than they were in the minors. And uh, I don't want any part of that from a guy who struggles with control to begin with. So um, now uh, McLean, yes, definitely a lot of interest in McLean. Um, Tony and I put a bit of 129 on him in, in our, uh, in our tag team fab last night. And uh, we tied with another team who had 129 and they were the last place team. So they won him over us. It was terrible. I was just like, oh my god, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I mean, just like, what there's the nothing odds? worse than tying on Fab. Uh, it's it's well, there's nothing worse than t- tying and losing. <laughs> when you tie Fair. and you get the win, because you're lower, then you're like, yes, perfect bid. But uh, yeah, that was that was horrible. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a power speed guy. Like those are the best commodities you can have in fantasy baseball. Are the guys who are good enough to stay in the lineup. They hit well. I mean, they brought him up and put him right in the number two slot. That tells you what they think of him. Um, this is a guy that they plan on keeping up, obviously, because, you know, a lot of these prospects like, you know, you see Zach Neto, he's hitting ninth. You know, you see a lot of these guys come up, Michael Garcia, ninth. Um, you know, a lot of them hit towards the bottom of the lineup. He comes up and he hits second and he's in Great American Small Park. Yeah, I I, I love Matt McLean. Um, he I, I did, though, read a little, a little bit about him that he doesn't swing enough. And like uh, especially at, like pitches in the zone, he's got like a very low swing rate. And so he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and by the way, with uh, TJ Friedel, I just read today that David Bell says he could be back as soon as tomorrow, um, which is kind of crazy. Like usually with obliques, you see guys out for four to six weeks, but they did say that it was a mild oblique. But, uh, you know, never take what managers say. always take it with a grain of salt because they lie so much. So many times you see her, oh, he's fine. He'll be back soon. And then they're like IL out for a month or two. And it's like, oh, my God. OK, great. Um, yeah, but, I, yeah, I don't even know Friedel that they're lying. Back. I don't even know that they're lying as much as they just downplay everything. And then we take them at their word. 
Yeah, no, and I definitely don't. Like, I've been doing this for too long to take people at their word anymore. I, I know better. I know the words to look out for. If you ever say they hope or they're hopeful this guy will be back by this time, that means they're not going to be back by that time. <laughs> True enough. Let's talk about your your team, the Guardians. Uh, Savali and McKenzie both headed back. What do you think that does to the rotation? And should people who were victorious in getting Tanner, Tanner Bybee or Logan Allen worry about their shares of those dudes? It's interesting. Um, I don't I don't fully know what to expect with this, but I'm pretty sure Savali is going to be back this Sunday, and then McKenzie should be back next week, assuming his next rehab start goes well. He probably has one or two starts left in the minors, they said. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because, like, you've got Savali, who, as much as I like him, he doesn't have sustained, sustained success uh in the majors yet and he can't stay healthy. So we know that Bieber, we know, we know McKenzie, they're going to be in the rotation. I don't think Cal Quantrill is guaranteed to stay in the rotation. I mean, he's, um, he's definitely the least skilled of all the guardians pitchers. Uh, no question about it. Um, he was great last year, surface results, but all the underlying statistics say that he overperformed by a massive amount and he's not actually that good. And I think you're seeing that more play out this year. Um, he looks, but he's good enough to be in a rotation, right? So that's the tough part. You could also see a trade. Um, there's there's word that we could be looking to deal Shane Bieber. Um, I think it's too early for that. Obviously, we, you know we're we're still a potential playoff team, but we're under 500 by like five games. We did just win just now, thankfully. But um, I don't know what to expect here. I, I doubt that Bybee's going down. It's possible Logan Allen goes down, but I think that would be a mistake. Um, I, it's, it's kind of up in the air right now. They could go to a six man, but I've never heard, they've never done a six man before and I've never heard them even mention it. So I, I hesitate to say that that's a possibility. Usually these situations work themselves out, especially this year where you've got so many injuries, but, um, you know, as of, as of next week, I, I honestly don't know what to think. No, that's a great point in terms of the injuries this year. I mean, I, I don't know how much of that is structural with the pitch clock or with the changes, but it does seem like injuries have just mounted in a way that I've never seen before. Brett Ford, who was on the show last week, mentioned that one of the reasons that so many incredible pitching prospects are being called up is that teams still feel like they're in it and the new rules make it possible for them to call those guys up and, and not be as penalized for it as they were in years mm -hmm. past. And so you're just seeing like this movement on the market that we I've never seen in my time playing fantasy. I, I I think that every year we're like, oh my gosh, this is wild. I think this year is the wildest thing I've ever seen in terms of the fab it's markets. Absolutely nuts. Um speaking of wild things in the fab markets, in Miami, uh surprisingly good Marlins team this year. Uh had Jesus yep. Sanchez was on a serious burner and then um has a hamstring injury. He's been on the IL. Jazz Chisholm, I heard right before we jumped on the show that diagnosis of turf toe, he is being asked to like do nothing for four weeks while that heals. And so that's going to be uh, quite a bit of time for him. I think, you know, Peyton Burdick is a guy that's getting some looks because of his power. I, I actually am a little bit more interested in Xavier Edwards, who I think is a speedy dude who will is more likely to stick. He's got that kind of like second base outfielder. I hit for contact and run a lot profile that the Marlins seem to love. He doesn't strike out nearly as much as Burdick does. Is there one of those dudes that you're more interested in and the other, if you can pick them up somewhere. I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I have not really looked into either of those guys. Um, I know Edwards looks like he's playing sporadically Burdick sporadically. Um, I just, you know, they got Wendell back off the aisle like 
two weeks ago. Um, you know, Garrett Cooper just came off the IL. I just don't know that those guys are going to play enough to really be worthwhile, especially uh, with as much as Segura is struggling. They haven't really stopped playing him yet. So, uh, you know, it could happen soon, though. I mean, we got Colton Wong losing his job in Seattle finally. Um, so there is that opportunity. That's uh, that's an interesting kind of like deep league under the radar uh, guys to look into. Yeah, I think the reason that I was interested in Edwards, he has stolen a ton of bases pretty much every time he's been anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I just think that his skills and his defense are more likely to stick than maybe I mean, Burdick's power is interesting, but I just think that Edwards might stick a little bit better. And on in their bullpen, AJ Puck is on the IL. Does that create an opportunity for Dylan Floro to grab some saves? Yeah, absolutely. I I added Dylan Floor in a lot of leagues to because I think he's he's the guy until and and you know we knew Puck Puck is another guy he just can't stay healthy man like every year this guy um, you know and for a long time they tried to make it work as a as a starter and you know every year I'd fade him I'd be like everybody get excited about him I'm like nah he can't he can't do it like he just he can't stay healthy as a starting pitcher so I'm glad they finally made the move to him as a reliever he looked really good but once again back to the IL and uh, yeah I think Floro definitely has. Like they haven't gone with anybody else other than Floro since uh, since Puck went down. I, I'd be interested to know if they're gonna maybe because you got a lefty and a righty, maybe they end up sharing the role when Puck comes back. But uh, definitely for at least the next couple of weeks, uh, use Floro as a closer. Yeah, speaking of um, injuries and guys who are hurt all the time, Wade Miley is on the IL again. It looks like Eric Lauer, who I thought was gonna get some run out of this situation, yeah. is also on the IL. And so Colin Ray, who we knew was going to join. Uh, the rotation for a little bit. Um, it looks like that spot is going to go to hold, please. Is it Wilson? Is that who we think is getting this start in Milwaukee? What do you see? What do you see in Milwaukee? Anything, anything of interest there? Oh, is, is it going to be Bryce Wilson? Is that who you're saying? Bryce Wilson is who Rotowire has on their probable pitcher grid, which I find to be one of the more predictable, like more accurate, predictable tools out there. But admittedly, like all of this has happened since the time I wrote this outline. So right. I am speculating and I am speculating based on Rotowire's best guess. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm just looking at this now. Like you, like, like you, I'm just trying to catch up here. So he pitched three innings on the 20th. So one, two, three, four, five. So if he's, so if they're looking for someone on Thursday, Bryce Wilson would match up perfectly. So that makes a lot of sense. So um, I would imagine Bryce Wilson starts, maybe goes like four innings, something like that. Um, no interest in him though, or, or Colin <laughs> like zero. <laughs> on the hitter side of things, Minnesota has been dealing with a rash of injuries. Buxton uh, is day to day. Kepler is on the IL. Edward Julian has been called up, and I know some people are interested in keeping an eye on Royce Lewis. Any interest in speculating on some of the young talent in the twin system? Um, huge, huge uh, pickup potentially with uh, Royce Lewis. I think he's eligible to return on May 29th. This is a guy who's proven that he can not only play in the majors but mash in the majors. Um, I'm a huge Roy Lewis, Royce Lewis guy. Um, I think he could be the biggest hitter pickup for the rest of the year. Um, I know Ellie De La Cruz is probably coming up at some point, but uh, Royce just has a stabler profile, and he he's a guy who, like I said, he's proven. Like we know he's gonna he's gonna come up, he's gonna play. He's probably gonna be their starting third baseman. Um, you know they've got they've got a bunch of guys who can play a bunch of different positions, but talent will win out there. I mean, guys like Willie Castro and Kyle Farmer, they're not uh, long term solutions. They're 
they're guys who you can play, you know, occasionally in, in certain situations, but not guys who need to be playing every day. Um, so yeah, big, big fan of Royce Lewis, uh, Edward Julian, Julian, I think he'll probably go end up going back down, uh, pretty shortly, but, um, cause Buxton did end up, um, coming back today to play. So he's, uh, well, we'll see, we'll see if he doesn't re-injure himself cause he's Buxton, but, um, <laughs> there's always that possibility. I mean, you know, like these guys are not going to be down for long because they, they've got too many injury prone guys. I mean, Polanco's got a hamstring injury right now. Um, but I absolutely expect Buxton to be back on the IL soon enough. So I apologize if I did the Julian Julian thing wrong. I, I just, I just presumed a Hispanic, uh, pronunciation there and I'm probably incorrect on that. I think I just, I think I just made an assumption there. Um, I don't know. On... I don't know. So I, I, I think it's Julian, <laughs> but I, when you said Julian, I kind of, I was like, man, maybe it is. I, I'm not. Sure. I actually don't know. I don't have the pronunciation guide in front of me, and I try to stay on top of that. And I could be wrong on this one. Um, Philadelphia Bailey Falter has been demoted. He has really struggled this season uh, after mixing up his uh, fastballs quite a bit. It looks like a four-man rotation for now. Rotowire and some other places are predicting that Dylan Covey might get a start or two while he's working on whatever he's working on in AAA. I'm honestly kind of confused. I, I'm sort of shocked they're not letting Matt Strom just take those starts. He seemed to do fine when he was starting before. I don't know why they insist on having him as a middle reliever instead of a starter. But what do you think about this Phillies rotation? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine with Strom. I mean, he, he looked like one of their better rotation guys, honestly. Like I, I like him more than Taiwan Walker and Ranger Suarez right now. Me so, too. Um, I have no idea what they're doing. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I also, so I, I do my own pitching. I, I do pitching for every day as well. Like, like Roto wire does and do my own research. And I came to the same conclusion that they did. They just signed Dylan Covey and as crazy as it is, I think they're going to end up playing him. Um, so if you have, Hitters going against Dylan Covey, I highly recommend you start them because he's probably <laughs> going to get he's probably just going to get slammed. I mean, this guy wasn't even good when he was pitching regularly. I don't even know what he's been up to for the last you know since the start of the season. But it's yeah, because he wasn't he wasn't uh, was he in the minor somewhere? I don't even know. I it came out of nowhere to me. Like I haven't yeah. even had the chance to research it or look it up yet. And I've been I've been, been trying to figure out. I didn't even know he was in the major still. So I, I was <laughs> kind of shocked to, to see his name come up because the last time he pitched was 2020 in Boston. Uh, it looks like he pitched four innings for the Dodgers so far this year in relief. So I guess that's, yeah. So Maybe I, a bit I, of an opener situation. I wonder if they're trying to like turn those into bullpen games and Strom is ultimately going to be the maybe. dude who gets the lion's share of that work, but Covey will just start the game. I, I honestly have no idea. Could be. I've still got some shares of Matt Strom. I feel like he's one of those pitchers who, one, I think is going to be back in the rotation at some point in time for this Phillies team. Because as you were saying, like Taiwan Walker, Ranger Suarez, that that ain't it. And it's just one of those situations <laughs> where he is going to vulture some wins and he's doing it with some pretty good ratios and a lot of strikeouts right now. So I'm happy to keep Matt Strom rather than pick up some starter who is just going to absolutely do nothing for me. Uh, last but certainly not least, a guy who is going to help me out in a couple of different places where I, I have been bemoaning the fact for weeks that I was that girl who drafted Glass now because she just couldn't resist the draft discount with the injury. And I have been waiting on bated breath for Tyler Glass now to return for the raise. It looks like he is returning this week, uh, maybe for Saturday. Uh, and Taj Bradley back in the rotation. Is he back for good? What do we see in the raise rotation? <laughs> I always love when people say the, the discount and I'm like, 
Man, this count. Count. Not, I know. I know. I know it's better, like, Dave. Really I don't know why I did it. Like, that's what, <laughs> like he's, he's, it's, that's his price for a reason, Stare. Like, he can't, <laughs> not healthy. He can't stay healthy. Uh, you can't, you can't rely on this guy. Um, I know the stuff is tantalizing, but uh, I don't, I don't know what you're going to get from Glasnow this year, honestly. Um, I, I very much don't think he's going to be just cruising from here on out the rest of the year, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you should be excited. He's coming back and he's, he's looked pretty good in the minors. So, uh, from, from what I've seen, it looks like he's going to be back on Saturday, this Saturday. Um, is Taj Bradley back for good? I, I guess it depends on the, on the health of their rotation. And I, it seems like it, like, what are you going to do? Send him down to put him on five, on five day, you know, rotation again. I mean, <laughs> he got slammed in the minors. Like they, like he was, he was destroying the majors. They sent him down. He got booty slammed in the minors and then they bring him back up and then he was like decent. So I, I honestly don't know what to expect from him, but you know, I put a, I threw down a 178 bid on Taj Bradley and in Glarf uh, immediately before his demotion, of course, because that's how Glarf has gone for me. But um, so I'm very much hoping that Taj uh, keeps his job in the rotation the rest of the year. Yeah, Glark has been rough sledding uh, for both of us, my friend. And in fact, we have just spent like yeah. 45 minutes on a segment that I usually try to budget 15 minutes for. So we're definitely <laughs> going to have to move. We're definitely going to have to move right along a little bit. But before we do, I just want to confirm that Glark is, in fact, one of the one of the leagues where, yes, I have Tyler Glass now and I am praying that he comes <laughs> back because that's that's critical to my Glarf comeback success. Let's take another quick break and then we'll talk about Glarf and some fab. Uh, processes and procedures on the flip side. <laughs> All right, we're back. Uh, so to be clear, we have very different processes and strategies here. And I actually am so excited for this conversation because I tend to lose all of our fab bids early in the season. Like I'm always getting like the fourth or fifth guy on my waterfall because y'all just blow me out of the water in fab and glarf. And I have come to expect it and I'm okay with it. Dave gets all the great <laughs> players early and potentially has them for a full season. But I have Fab at the end of the year. <laughs> and Dave sometimes yep. is not. So yep. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this for a second. Dave, what motivates your Fab processes and procedures? Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I think it's just got to be like a personality thing, you know? Like, I think it's just um, – because, like, I can I, – I, you hear me saying, I know you need money for the end of the year. And yet, <laughs> I still can't freaking do it. Like, and Sarah, I've lost – uh, it's got to be close to 100 grand over the years in in prize winnings because I ran out of money too soon. Um, there were super leagues that I was would have easily won if I had even a couple dollars left at the end. Um, you know, we talked about Glarf earlier. It's the same thing. I specifically brought Tony on as my co-manager for the main event uh, several years ago because I told him, look, I, you know, I can win just fine. I just need you to help me budget my money. Um, and that's like, that's his number one. Seriously, that's his number one priority. Make sure we have money left at the end of the year. Don't let me overspend. You know, if you think I'm overbidding on someone, help me knock it down a few bucks, stuff like that. Cause this is my kryptonite. Um, I don't budget well. Um, it's just not who I am. And you know, you've seen it in Glarf. Um, you know, in year one, I still won. Year two, I was winning until the last three days. So like this year being down to 140 bucks with, you know, all this time left is, is, is not great considering the fact that I'm in second last place. So um, I don't know what it is, Sarah. I, I know that I shouldn't bid as aggressively as I do. Um, I guess I just, I see guys come up that I don't think should be available and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'll, I need to throw down a big bid on them because this is a guy who I can have for the rest of the year. 
But then what happens with that is I end up buying David Peterson for $128 and Chris Bubich for $100. And then he immediately gets Tommy John and 178 on Taj Bradley, who immediately gets sent down after I win him. So it's just like, man, what am I doing here? This is this is just bad. So like sometimes the best things are, is when you you lose on bids that you you're like, oh man, I missed out on them. But then they end up like something, some shit happens like that. And then you're like, oh, thank God someone outbid me on that guy. But um, yeah, this has been a problem for me. <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, that you bring, so the Taj Bradley thing, I think is going to work out just fine for you for the record. Okay. And frankly, I think that the process behind the Boobich thing was fine too. You're far from the only person who put down triple digits on Boobich. There was a lot of conversation about his picks mix changing and how, how much better he was doing. Like I, I was sad that I missed out on that. Like I just, I just, didn't don't be <laughs> i am so conservative with my bids like conservative to the point where even when i think i have put the bid out there that i'm like yes i am gonna get this dude i I'll, I'll use cat wars for a second here as an example i really wanted bryce miller like bryce miller is exactly the type of pitcher that i love he pitches in a great circumstance seattle is a great place to play they do an awesome job with pitcher development i put down 196 for Bryce Miller. And I, I just couldn't bring myself to go over that $200 mark. And I, I was not close. Like I, I lost Bryce Miller by like 30 bucks in Tout Wars. I lost Bryce Miller everywhere. I have zero shares of Bryce Miller. I have so much FOMO on Bryce Miller. And so I, I don't remember. I think the next week was the Bybee Allen week. And I was like, all right, I'm going to bump these bids. I'm going to like go over 200. And I lost everywhere. I lost everywhere, Dave. Like I, I the only... Pick, the only like high level fab uh, pickups I have gotten this year in different leagues. Uh, I, I picked up Yuri Perez in a couple of places. I picked up Yuri Perez in TGFBI, and I think I picked up Yuri Perez in an auction league that I'm in. Um, and then I picked up Matt McLean this this last weekend. But I, I honestly think the only reason I got Matt McLean in Tout Wars and uh, TGFBI and somewhere else. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Everyone's else out of money. And so my 142 all of a sudden looked real good. <laughs> right, right. And so I think it really comes down to if you think that there's guys still left in the minors who you'd prefer over the guys they're being bid on. Like, like take Matt Libertor. I like him. I didn't think he was worth uh, a bid of like several hundred dollars, honestly. Like, I think he was like a 125 type guy to me. Because um, like, I think Bybee is much better. I think Bryce Miller is much better. Yuri Perez much better. Although Yuri Perez won't be getting many wins uh, considering his innings count for the season and that they don't let him go deep into games. But still, he's 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 a much better talent, I think. So it just depends on whether you're looking at the minors and you're seeing that there's going to be other guys coming up that you want to wait to spend your money on. I think that that's fine. But in Glarf, you know what I saw a lot of last year, Sarah? I saw a lot of people holding, 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 holding money and then just not really use utilizing it. Like they wait till July, August, and then they're dropping like $50, $100 bids on guys who should be going for like four or five bucks. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like it's much better to spend your money early where they, these players can be mainstays on your roster for an entire season than waiting for mid season or even late season. And you talked about a big, you know, $30 on Kikuchi. I don't know what it took to win him. But I don't. I can't imagine that Kikuchi really needed to be spent more than like five or six <laughs> bucks on him. Like you just don't want to save your money. Like I know, like you know, it's like the opposite of what your parents taught you, right? Like save your money for later. You know, you'll be glad you have it when you're older and all this stuff. But if you don't use your money and it's and you know you're coming down to August, September, and you still got five, six hundred dollars left, it's like what are you doing? You're already out of it by now. I mean, if you needed that money to keep yourself in it, 
you know, it's too late at that point. So you, you, it's better to be too aggressive than to be, you know, to uh, spend thrift to, to start the season. Uh, while I go overboard, there's a middle ground there. <laughs> you know, you want to well, be. I was just going to say with the caveat that you want some money budgeted for each period in case you need to replace a dude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually looking at the Glar Fab budgets right now. I love the way the NFBC lets you do that just by like kind of clicking and you can see everybody's budget immediately. And this is part of why I probably overbid for Yusei Kikuchi because there were a handful of people in our league last year who just had a ton of money left. And I was like, well, see, that's bad. That should never happen. <laughs> no one should have more than like $50 left for the last week. And even that is really aggressive. So we're running the gamut here in Glarf this year. Uh our friend Mike Carter, who I mentioned before, has $899 of his $1,000 of fab. Mike, Mike is notorious for this. He always has yes. too much money left. <laughs> uh, Chris Deary has $752 left. But then there's like a cluster of us. There's four of us with about between $536 and $557 left. Govier, Jenny, myself, Dave Swan. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Lucas Beery and Marty Tallman and Doug Roth are also all sitting in that $500 range. So like between 502 to 557. Maddie Wood, who is running away with the league right now, has 395 left. Eric Halterman has 380. Um, Adam Howe has 333. Jake has 155. You have 134. And then... Uh, Mr. Cumming has 67. So you are oh, not even like I'm the biggest bender in Glarf right now. <laughs> Holy shit. I didn't realize that. I just assumed I was the lowest. I didn't know Jake was within 11 bucks. Well, Jake picked up both, uh, I believe, Bybee and Allen in the same week, right? Didn't he go big on? Yeah, I yeah. think he got both. Yeah, he spent $500 on Bybee and Allen in the same week. So that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that um, will definitely do it. <laughs> But he spent his money much better than me because I'm I got boob I got nothing out of Bubich and Peterson and uh, very little out of Taj Bradley so far. So now, like you said, hopefully Taj Bradley is a factor for me the rest of the year. And honestly, my team is very solid. Uh, the problem is that so many of my hitters are not hitting and injuries have just screwed me. I mean, Max Freed, you know, my ace done for the year. Shane Bieber doesn't look like Shane Bieber really this year. So um, I. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's going to turn around, but you're going to need some help with with Fab. Well, and, and looking at where some of that money has gone, it looks like Aaron picked up Yuri Perez for four hundred and twenty three dollars a couple of Ooh. weeks ago. So that's where Aaron's money went. The runner up bid was two seventy six. By the way, I, the leagues where I got Yuri, I got Yuri for between one forty and one ninety six. I did not go over 200 for Yuri Perez for precisely the innings and usage concern reasons that you had mentioned before. Now that means that I didn't get him in this league. Like, and I I'm sitting on $500 that I'm going to have to spend at some point in time, but it is interesting, particularly in a league that is as active as Glarf is right. Like everybody's mm -hmm. got a deep waterfall each week trying to get their stuff. I, and it's one of the only leagues where I can set a waterfall and not get people. And I'm just like, how <laughs> did that happen? Like, What is going on? And it's, it's partially because I'm learning um, how some of y'all play and just like a, a deeper, more research, more aggressive way. It's the, I tell people all the time, Glarf is the hardest league I play in. It's not close. Um, the draft is just like the craftiest draft that I've ever seen in my life. The, the number <laughs> of times that I'm sitting in the Glarf draft and I'm like, no, I was going to do like, that was two moves away. Like I was doing that. And somebody has taken a dude that I just thought was really safe for me. Uh, <laughs> it just happens over and over and over. And, and the fab market is the same way. So 
I want to talk about this in practice for a second. Can you talk through one or two ads that you've made so far this season that you were really excited about and how your process informed that? Uh, that, that like went well? Yes. That went well. Not, not ones that you're kicking yourself over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm. And they don't have to be the highest spends on your budget either. Like, you know, I was really excited to get, I I think I got Casey Schmidt for like 28 bucks or something like that. And I probably overspent a bit there. Like I think the runner up bid was seven, but I, I don't know. I like Casey Schmidt. It looks like he's going to play and he's doing good stuff. So I was excited. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would say um, early on I picked up, uh, I I had targeted uh, Robbie Grossman as a guy who was going to be playing pretty much full time in a good Rangers offense and, you know, he's, he's not anything sexy, but this is a guy who has, you know, shown he can be a 2020 guy. And, uh, you know, I picked him up for 17 bucks the first week. So um, he's, he's been very helpful for me uh, thus far. And then I, I picked up uh, Bryce Elder for 30. I went him 34 to $32 in like mid April. Um, I just feel like he's a guy who consistently gets overlooked and undervalued. And I, I think he's actually a really solid starting pitcher and uh he's on a good he's on a good offense he's on a good team who should be getting a lot of wins he's he's really i mean listen he's not a replacement for for all the guys i've lost you know he's no max freed but it it helps bridge that gap a little bit and then a couple of my more recent guys i got mankata i won 11, 13 to 11 um the, the white Sox just have such good matchups coming up and and he's a guy who's hitting in the middle of a good lineup and uh even though I've never really been a Mankata guy because he always gets overvalued in drafts as a $13 pickup. I, I like it a lot. I picked up uh, Kevin Kiermeyer for three bucks last week. He's on a heater right now. He's playing every day in a really good Toronto offense and he runs. Um, I also got James Paxton for 37 bucks. I won 37 to 26. I do not I love expect that. Him to stay, I do not expect him to stay healthy whatsoever, but I was like, look, if I can get him at a reasonable cost, even if he gets hurt in a month or two, I'm okay with it. Cause he looks Really, really good. Like it's never been a question of talent with him. It's just can he stay healthy? Um, and then last week I picked up uh, Adam Duvall for seven bucks. He's coming off of a wrist fracture, so I know that the power is not going to be what it was before he he got hurt. But my team is hurting for power, and I need to take a shot. So I was like, if I if I pick him up now, hold him for. Looks like he's going to be back June 9th, You know, t- two weeks. Um, you know, maybe he can be a a guy who can who can be a factor for me the rest of the way. Well, that Adam Duvall pickup of yours segues perfectly to the next thing I wanted to talk about, because frankly, I also need power. Um, I am the girl who drafted Reese Hoskins, promptly lost him, and then wound up in a situation where I had to hold Matt Mervis for weeks because Matt Mervis was the only possible dude that I saw of the guys that I could try to replace Hoskins with that could hit that home run potential, and he certainly is not. But then I also had Corey Seager, have Corey Seager, who was out for six weeks. Like that's a ton of home runs that I'm missing from a absolutely amazing Rangers offense that Corey Seager was doing nothing for, <laughs> for all of that time. And I, I saw the Adam Duvall pick up and I was just like, it, it gutted me a little bit. Cause that was a dude I was <laughs> eyeing for the coming weeks and, and gone now. Um, so I was surprised let's, we bit on him actually. It was seven to zero unopposed. I was a little shocked by that. <sighs> let's talk about Glarf. Both of us are having some systemic problems this year. I think both of us are going to rise a little bit in the standings. And I know we're both really active players. We'll do what we can. I mean, stuff happens. I we could have injuries and other things happen and it just never sure. comes back. But I think we're both trying to get things together. What's something that's gone really well uh for you and Glarf this year, even though the standings don't show it? 
Uh, what's gone well? I mean, I guess uh, my my draft picks of Kalenic, uh Evan Phillips, oh, yeah. TJ Friedel, yeah, Kalenic's you know been that was like the one place I I think I drafted him one other place, but like it was just like he he kept falling and it's just like it's not even that I'm like a huge Kalenic truther, but I'm like look, he's got the skill set that we're all looking for that power speed combo guy, and you know he's a he's a legit elite prospect who just you know, a lot of guys come up and they don't they don't have success right away. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't give up on them just because of that. So, I, you know, he was available late in the draft and I, I grabbed him. Um, Evan Phillips I took in the middle of our draft as my closer too. Um, he's worked out. He's been very good ratio-wise and it looks like he's taken over that, um, that closer role there for the most part. TJ Friedel has been very good so far this year. He was another late pick. And then the biggest thing that went right for me was Nolan Gorman with my round 29 pick. And I was this close to dropping him the week that he broke out. Uh, I was, I was, there was a roster crunch and I needed to drop someone. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hold him for another week and let's see. And sure enough, he, he went off and thank God, because that would have destroyed me if I dropped Nolan Gorman <laughs> because he's been a monster this year. He's been great. Yeah. Well, and that Cardinals offense was really a sleeping giant. Like you knew it. Was, I, I have Nolan Arenado uh, in this league as well. And it's like, you knew that the Cardinals offense was going to wake up, but that combo effect for me, at least of having lost Reese Hoskins, lost Corey Seager for a while. And Nolan Arenado was like not hitting for power. I mean, I just, I found myself at the bottom of home runs really fast, which is a Boy, weird place to be. Now. Oh my God. It's Nolan a weird Arenado's place to be nuts. this year in this league. Yeah. Nolan Arenado's coming back for me. <laughs> Jesus. He's going crazy. Um, what's something that has backfired for you so far that you're like, oh, I wish I could have that back or I wish I could, I, I would undo that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so Max Freed, obviously that sucks, but that's, that's not really like a procedural miss. Like that's a shit happens thing, you know, totally. Yes. You yes. know, pitchers, all pitchers have injury risk. That doesn't mean that they all have the same injury risk. Like there's certainly more that some that are more risky than others, but, um, I don't think there was any red flags with Max Freed. I think it's just bad luck that that happened that way. Um, but the big thing that's really hurt me is two guys who I thought were very solid veterans at first base in Jose Abreu and Josh Bell, just both sucking complete butt. Like you're, you're looking at like the first baseman this year who are doing badly. <laughs> and those two are right at the top. And, and those are, I'm like, oh man, I've got a great first baseman, a great corner infielder. And then I've, oh, I've got Jordan Walker too. He could be another backup option, at corner infielder. And then of course he gets sent down. Um, so yeah, those, those three picks right there were the, were the big things that went wrong for me that, and I also faded catchers in this league, um, which I ended up getting Sable, uh, in free agency. And I think I picked someone else up, uh, who's decent. So I'm okay there now, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just been the overall lack of offense on this team. It's just been, oh my God. Dude, I don't know. I did not fade catchers in this league and I was feeling pretty great about my, uh, Logan O'Hoppy that I think I am oh, pairing with. Man. Do I have Wilson? Con no, William Contreras. I have the the brother Contreras what is in this league, you? and I had to, I had to drop Logan O'Hoppy, and it was just painful. I picked up Chad Wallach as kind of like a placeholder there, just and and he was fine until he hit the concussion aisle, and then I found myself overbidding on Jan Gomes because suddenly Jan Gomes and his like middling power and the fact that he's going to play every day for a Cubs team that does not suck. Yeah became super valuable to me that which meant that instead of being like a normal person who could put like five dollars on Jan Gomes and just hope it worked out I had to put like 20 bucks on Jan Gomes because I absolutely needed him <laughs> I mean I think that's fair uh he's he's more than paid that off though he has he has he's been good so far um I think that the other 
backfire pick for me. And, and it sucks because it was my, oh, my number one pick. And I'm hoping that he'll just pick it up at some point. This was the draft where uh, Jenny and I went out to dinner the night before the draft. And I think I had the second or third pick in this draft. And I, I was debating between doing the safe thing that I've done in almost every draft. I have a ton of Jose Ramirez. Like I was drafting early in a lot of places. I was like, I'm going to draft Jose Ramirez. That's what I'm going to do. And Jenny was like, if you're drafting Jose Ramirez everywhere and something happens to him, you should pick an outfielder. Like just diversify a little bit, mix it yeah. up. And she was absolutely right. And so you actually took Jose Ramirez before I could. And I think somebody picked Jose Ramirez before I could. Somebody who in picked Glarf? before me in Glarf. No, yeah. I picked eighth. I picked eighth. So I ended up with. Oh, so somebody who picked second, whoever picked second in Glarf took Jose Ramirez. And I couldn't have taken him if I wanted to. I had the third pick. <laughs> well, and good. I took I took Julio Rodriguez. That has not worked out very well for me right now. No. <laughs> uh, I picked the wrong outfielder. But. I think he's going to come back. Like, I don't think that he is broken. I'm not as worried about him as some of the other guys who are struggling in their second year, but I am not loving my first round draft pick right now. I know. And that, and that does suck. Um, but Jenny is hundred percent right. And, and it's something that I always tell people too. It's, it's, you don't have to diversify when you're talking about like your, your players after say round, you know, five or so um, you can pick a lot of the same guys. Cause you're not, I mean, I would say maybe like, late you don't want a ton of the same guys from five to ten all the time but you know from the first five rounds man you know these are these are all really good players right like you know you're even if you like one guy you know you like j-ram more than i know that j-rod hasn't worked out for you this year but let's say you had taken you know shohei otani or something um you know most of these guys are going to be just fine and so even if you like one guy more than another it's still a good idea to diversify because like she said if something happens to them you know, you're, you're screwed, not just in one league, but in like seven leagues that you could have diversified right. in. And it's just, cause those are the guys that you're depending on. You know, it's not like, like you could take the same guy in round 25 in every draft and it's fine because if it doesn't work out, oh, well, it's around 25 pick. It's not a guy that was, you know, a guy that you're depending on to do well. Oh, it was very wise advice. I am glad I took it. And I am hoping that Julio Rodriguez goes on a burner through June, July. Because sure I um, sort of yeah. did too. <laughs> Uh, Dave, let me ask you just one more question um, before we get to the question that I always end the show with. And that is, you know, you, you don't have a ton of money left in this league. You got a lot of season left. How are you going to budget those few fab dollars through the rest of the season? Well, Sarah, this is going to be an adventure. We'll, we'll have to find out together. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of low bids hoping I can slide them, slide them on through. I will say this. In Glarf, I'm always surprised that some guys go on like I always seem to throw out these like seven, eight dollar bids and then nobody nobody even bids on. Yeah. And I and so I'm really realizing I need to like do like one to two dollar bids more. Um, because I I keep thinking that someone's gonna be bidding at least something kind of low on these guys, and I and I can be saving five to six bucks on each of these bids. And uh, you know, I just I, I keep thinking someone's gonna bid on, you know, Adam Duvall, and you know, sure enough, he goes unopposed and it's, it's happened like that several times for me where uh, if it's not the big ticket guys, they seem to – a lot of these guys fall through the cracks, and um, I think I can make it work. We'll, we'll have to see, though. It's going to be an adventure. I, I'm sure you can make it work. It's a really good point, though, that you can save 5 or $6 here or there. I mean, I didn't need to go $20 on Jan Gomes. Nobody else cared about Jan Gomes. Yeah, I you actually remember – left. You're going to be just fucking fine, all right? <laughs> You can spend twenty dollars on Jan Gomes. I would not. I would not look back on that and be like, "Oh my god, why did I do that?" 
<laughs> well, I, I know why I did it though. And and talking through the process is part of what we do on the show. And I think it's I think it's helpful. Like I was looking at other people's needs and I was looking at who other people had. And I was like, there are other people who could use an upgrade at catcher right now. Like there are some people yeah. who are rolling out a second catcher where Jan Gomes is a pretty decent option. And if you do, there's two ways to think about free agent pickups, right? Like you can think about, I need to replace this position and I need a guy who's going to play as much as possible to replace that position. But you can also be thinking about it in terms of stats, I need home runs. I need RBIs. I need yeah. stolen bases, whatever that is. And if you sorted last week uh, the free agent list for home runs, Jan Gomes was right at the top because he has six home runs so far. And he's freaking catcher and he's a catcher who plays every day or two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago that I did the Jan Gomes pickup. But my point being, I was nervous that anybody who was looking for power on the waiver wire would see that there was a catcher who's going to play, you know, 80% of the time for a pretty decent offense who had already hit six home runs and just be like, I, I might upgrade. Like that's a real easy upgrade to put. Right. And so sure, I bumped my bid from $2 to $20. Cause I wanted to make sure I got him. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, you're, you're, you're honestly $20 probably wasn't even high enough. I mean, you're, you're lucky that you got him because in main events two weeks ago, he went from 16 to $35. So like you're on the low end, your bid would have been the second lowest out of all of those bids. So like you absolutely should have gone twenty dollars. You probably should have gone thirty, honestly. So um, I would not. No, seriously. Like it doesn't matter what the backup bid was in Glarf, because um, like sometimes I look at one league and I, I'm like, oh, did I overbid on him? It was like I won him for fifty eight dollars and the backup bid was seven dollars. And then I look at another league and he went for eighty three in that league. And it's like, okay, so it's just that people in this league just didn't bid correctly, you know. So don't feel like because you overbid in one specific league that it was the wrong process and that you should have bid less. Well, I appreciate that. Cause like, it, it, I felt like the process was pretty sound, but I also looked at it and I'm yeah. like, God, I just got this dude unopposed. But I also was like, I have a very real shot of not having a second catcher. Who's going to play at all. Absolutely the right bid for sure. Which very much hurt my soul because I'm a Wilson Contreras truther and I'm very upset that Jan Gomes <laughs> exists on the Chicago Cubs at all. But that's that's for my other podcast. Dave, uh, thank you so much yeah. for joining me here today. I'm going to close out sure. with the question I always close out the show with, which is what would you give what advice would you give to a new-ish okay. fantasy baseball player? Maybe somebody who's thinking about their first main event or thinking about making the jump um, from a home league to some leagues that might be a little bit more competitive. What would you tell them as they're making that move? Oh my God. I mean, there's so many things. It, it's really tough to give just one piece of advice, especially like, depends, like, are they familiar with NFBC if, if they're joining the main event for the first time? Like you got to know your league settings and all that stuff. I, I think a lot of people don't value the categories as they should. Like a lot of people want to pretend like saves and steals don't exist, but they do. Um, like everybody wants the sexy players. Um, make sure you know how to, balance your team if you're going to have take the high upside risky guys make sure you have reliable guys behind them that you can fill in with if it doesn't work out like it's okay to take some injury risks here and there in my opinion you shouldn't be doing it in the first couple rounds but if you do that make sure that you're you know the next couple guys behind them are sturdy you know uh you know no playing time downside issues no big injury issues you know you just there's you got to learn how to build a roster. Um, and, and that's, that's something that can take a long time, uh, several years to learn. And the other thing I would say is just have your own opinion, like listen to what others say, but have a select few sources that you listen to who are good players, first of all, 
And also, like, their advice is good because there's not that many people out there, just being honest, who are both of those things. And if you listen to everybody, you're going to hear from one person that this guy is a good pickup. You're going to hear another person that this guy's a bad pickup. You should always look at it as a starting step. Like, you see what they say, and then you go to your own research on it and say, okay, do I agree with this? Don't just take anybody's word. You know, don't appeal to authority. Um, but have your own take and make it yours, you know, do your own work, follow the stuff. Um, I do my own pitching. Like I write down every picture that starts every day because that's how I can keep up with everything. Cause this stuff changes so much. You don't want to be reliant. And I mean, I know you talked about looking at Rotowire. They're great. As good as they are, I still trust my own research more. So um, I just think, I know it's a lot of time to spend, but if you really want to take this seriously, you got to put in the work and if you grind it out, you're going to be a really good player. Like you just never give up. You mentioned this coming into the episode right now. I don't care what place you're in. You can be in dead last. I'm in second last in Glarf. There's zero chance I'm giving up. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to see me uh, near the top of the standings in September. So you just got to keep grinding. You got to keep playing. Don't make any mental mistakes, make as few as possible. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing is being mentally tough. If, if I had to tell someone one thing, I think that would be it. Like just keep, going and keep making the right decisions and it'll pay off eventually. Yeah. You can't give up in a season that is 162 games long. The number of times that I've watched someone go from like the top five in a league to, they got distracted when football started or they got distracted when they had a big work project that took a month of their time or, or whatever is going on and look like no shade, like life happens and you get distracted by other things and we all have multiple interests, but You can win leagues just by paying attention, just by being a person who is there week in, week out, making sure that you make all of the pickups that you need to maximize out your roster and the playing time that exists there. And I I think that that's excellent advice for anybody, whether they're trying to win their home league or whether they're trying to win a main event. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. I love playing in Glarf with you. Please uh, let people know where they can find you and find your work. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be on with you, Sarah. It's my pleasure to have you in Glarf. Um, you know, it's become our, our little community, and I, I love seeing you guys every year. And uh, I, I hope we can form a dynasty here and keep winning uh, Earth year after year. We've, uh, we're have we 2-0 and so far. Got to defend that title again this year. Um, yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at RunDMcD. Add that D. Otherwise, you get the band. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you can uh, – I have a, a website, rotosaurus.com, that I run with my friend Jake. But we we had been lax, but I am going to start putting some stuff on there, uh, those pitching schedules that I was talking about and hitter schedules as well, which highlight, um, you know, everyone who's starting and then where you should be targeting guys and, and which players are good pickups for that week. So get that going. Hopefully, Jake can put it up on the site this week. So. Uh, Rotosaurus, great resource. And also like just a shout out to Dave and Jake who are amazing league mates and just really great people to bounce ideas off of. I learn a ton from this league, every draft, every DM conversation that we're in, we have a discord where we talk about some stuff too. And I just, I'm, I'm super thankful for this league. It's made me a better player to play against people who play the game really, really well. It's one of those things that you just, you cannot, Mike Carter talked about this in the second episode of the show, but I, it cannot be stated enough. You, you get better at fantasy baseball by playing against people who are better at it than you are. And asking them questions and learning the things that they are doing and why they're doing them. And that's what the show is all about. There are no silly questions here. Uh, you can find us at, at what the fab you please like the show. Uh, it 
leave us a five star review and a rating if and share it with your friends if it's something that has been helpful to you. I think that sometimes we forget that all of us were new at this at one point in time and that there are lots of questions that people might have that maybe we don't think about on a weekly basis or even a yearly basis as we're doing our draft prep or as we're looking at our teams or looking at our processes, but there's little nuggets and gems and all of those decision points and all of those procedures. And I'm, I'm happy to highlight them here each week. So Dave, thank you for joining me. I will see you um, in our Twitter DM and yeah, everyone be back next week.